Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. From Backpage, my name is Martin Gregg and welcome to a new episode of Between the Lines, the stories behind great sports writing. Our guest this week is James Morgan. James wrote the first book we ever published as a company back in 2010. It was called In Search of Alan Gozine and it was nominated for Football Book of the Year. Our conversation this week is on a piece he wrote for the Herald newspaper in Scotland about the day in 1964 when a bunch of Celtic players turned up in a small Donegal town to play in a lucrative summer cup competition competition called the Kennedy Cup. Incredibly, they actually played in disguise to protect their identities. Remember, this was less than three years before they became champions of Europe in Lisbon. It's a fantastic, distinctively Irish tale, but the story behind it is also interesting. James's work is always built on extensive research, and I think you'll really enjoy hearing about the way he goes about building up this story. He makes an early reference to a film project about the history of the Kennedy Cup, which also takes in the story of the Celtic players, and you'll hear more about that in the second half of the podcast enjoy so james we need to start by fleshing out this story to the listeners there's obviously a few different strands to it but i guess i want to take you back to the headline because that's the kind of core of the story and the headline says the carfin emeralds how celtic players in disguise won the day for a lanarkshire church so i wonder if you could give us a kind of brief summary of this incredible 1964 football match around which your whole piece centers if you like the summer cups in in donegal and and generally in the north of Ireland back in the 50s and 60s were were commonplace you know all over the region and they were really a means for local villages to raise money for whatever you know a, you know a local fundraiser as you, you know, for charity or for if a town hall needed um, a new roof or, or or some such um and and that and, and and the villages became quite competitive in their their means of trying to raise money and you know as the, as the story talks about the, the the particular um cup that we're going to focus on is the Kennedy Cup in Moville in in Donegal uh, and y- you know they they became involved in a kind of head to head with the nearby um Bunkrana Cup and the two villages kind of would try to outdo each other in, in fundraising and you, you know donkey were sold and ponies were sold um, and you know there were raffles held and 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 they got to the point by 1964 that Moville's Cup uh, the the prize on offer was two thousand pounds a not inconsiderable sum today never mind in 1964 um, and and I think roughly by you know in inflationary terms about uh, equivalent to about thirty five thousand pounds today and so. You know, they became obviously, as you can imagine, they became very competitive, and and teams from all over Ireland would come to play in these, and and oftentimes they would be they would include um, Irish league players, and I suppose as word got out, players from across the water would come from Scotland and England. Also, what you also had was a, a kind of very you know a a, a town with a rich maritime history, and Moville was a place where. 
boats would stop off or would be the last the last kind of site that uh, people travelling from Derry City to Glasgow would see they'd, they'd actually see the football pitch where the Kennedy Cup was played uh, one of the, the last sites they would see so you, you know you had this really you, you know the, the, this tournament that was attracting a lot of attention uh, newspaper ads from the day would you know they 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 self styled it Ireland's premier football competition and they actually they lauded the the arrival of the Carfin Emeralds in one of the tournaments it was the following year they they, they called them the internationally renowned Carfin Emeralds so they were almost painting them in terms of the, the Harlem Globetrotters because you know I think that was the thing that people weren't stupid yeah if a, a group of guys turn up wearing masks wigs, beards and their and their faces are you you know, they've got boot polish on their faces. There's something afoot, you know, there's quite obviously a reason for this. And so kind of a precursor to this as well was that there are two Celtic players, Billy McNeil and Mike Jackson, had played in a football tournament in Spain a few years earlier and they've been caught playing in this tournament. They were stopped at the airport getting off the plane on the way back in, in Glasgow and reporters asked them, So tell us about the tournament. And they played this tournament in uh, Catalonia under the guise of third Lanark and there'd been other players from the third Lanark team playing in this competition but the two Celtic players were identified and, and they were fined quite heavily uh, by Celtic and not long after Mike Jackson was actually packed off um, on transfer. There, there were quite serious ramifications for being caught playing in these tournaments and really that's the background to where players turned up wearing masks you know and why they were so keen to protect their identities indeed there was a a newspaper report from one of the tournaments in 1962 where the Belfast Telegraph had gone along to I suppose catch out some of these more famous players playing in the tournament and they a, a, a newspaper photographer had taken out his camera and had actually been assaulted by some of the players in the Carfenner Emeralds team because obviously again they didn't want their identif- identities uncovered Right, so, so just, to, just to rewind a little bit, I mean you talk about the face masks and the, and the wigs and the false beards and the boot polish, we'll get to that in a minute right? but I just want to pick out a couple of little strands from what you were talking about so the contention is that in 1964 a number of Celtic players who in three years time by the way would go on to be champions of Europe but they turned out for the Carfin Emerald in this match against Manchester Athletic to win the Kennedy Cup. Now one of the characters that pops up quite early is this Irish priest who is based in Lanarkshire but whose family are from Moville and they which is obviously the, the town which hosts the tournament. Now I think from from what your piece says he wants to raise money for his parish um, maybe improvements in the parish I don't know if the, if the roof was leaking or something but the legend seems to state that it, he was the key factor in persuading some of these Celtic players to make the trip is that right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the, the Father Jack Gillen is an itinerant priest in kind of North Lanarkshire in the outskirts of Glasgow and he's travelling around but in this precise moment in time that we're talking about he's at Newt Hill which I believe is in North Lanarkshire and nearby is Carfin Grotto um, and that's where he gets the, the idea for the name of the team um, which I believe is a statue of Our Lady or um, and that, that's where he's got the name for the team so but yes he's obviously got family roots in Moville he knows about the cup competition he's tried 
previously and fail to win it because we have evidence that they were there in 1962 uh, also in 1963 they've tried and failed and again in 1965 when I don't believe they won it either but got to the final but it's this year in 1964 where allegedly there are significant numbers of Celtic players. Now, when you, when you look at, at a wee bit of the history around it, Celtic are playing Aberdeen at, at Pataudry the day before they're meant to have played the final of this cup competition because all uh, while they were summer cup competitions, they quite often, uh, you know, they, they, they would quite often drift into the start of uh, autumn. But what seems to be, you know, there the, seems to be a bit of jubilee about the makeup of the players that are on the pitch, but what seems to be beyond dispute is that there were Celtic players, past or present, and, you know, in, in the lineup for that for that final. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that line when you, you talked about, you know, the fact that Celtic had played Aberdeen, uh, Pataudry the day before, I think they won 3-1 in that game. But, you know, the contention was, could they have made it? All the way from the northeast of Scotland um, for this 3 pm kickoff in this corner of Donegal um, 24 hours later. And it just kind of adds, you, you mentioned about it's like a plot line from Father Ted in the piece. And I think that's exactly what it's like. And there's there's something, there's a real kind of romantic overtone to that to think that these guys, these, you know, world class footballers, let, let's let's be fair, w- would somehow manage to pull that off. So, how, how far did you get in, in substantial? Appreciating uh, these claims. Well, I think I mean you, I, I spoke to Eddie Mahan, who was a Derry City goalkeeper. Uh, he was also the chief football writer for the Derry Journal, um, and you know, as he said, it loses nothing in the telling. And there's definitely a luster to this story, which is very evocative of kind of Irish country town. Um, and so, I think that over the years. You know, this story has probably grown arms and and legs, but at the same time, I don't think there is any doubt that you know these players played, and and and, and, and it's the frequency with which the names recur. And also, it's backed up by you know pretty strong evidence. I spoke to Paddy Crerand and you know in the, uh, the during the research for the piece. So, you know, it's it's quite clear that um, these these guys were all there of a time of a moment, and and perhaps what has happened is that the, there's this kind of uh, melange of of memories that have all fused together, and, and and that's what you know, and that's what the memory is. So, but you know, as for 1964 you know it's uh, Neely Malkin is definitely you know there and by that point he had he'd left Celtic but he's still a very you know prominent figure in Celtic's recent history there is footage of um, from 1962 of of a player who the, who, who the filmmaker uh, perceives to be Jenky Johnson I, I mean what happened was it, it had grown you know such a, a reputation that people would come from all over and someone turned up at one point with a cinecam and takes you know footage of the team running out replete with masks on you know and you see this person turning to the camera to look to the right and it looks like Jenky Johnson. So, you know, you've got on this day in 1964, I mean, the team sheets disappear. And that's one of the things that Eddie Mann, you know, pointed out. That so, so there's, you know, that, that there's this kind of, you know, as you say, there's this Father Ted element of force, but you know, also kind of mystery attached to it all that just paints, you know, a wonderful picture. 
It it does, and also I think like the going going back to the was it two thousand five hundred prize money or the equivalent of thirty five grand in today's money. That's significant, I think, right? Because what would pull these guys over during a season, like you know, because initially on first read I thought right, so this is a summer tournament, and then they've just maybe gone there on holiday and they've pitched in. No, this is like potentially during a you know a competitive season that they made they've made this trip but if you think about it in terms of that prize money if there's 35 grand at stake and there's a possibility that these guys will be able to share in some of those spoils we know for a fact that in those days you know footballers didn't earn the wages that they earn now so there would have been a financial incentive to get them over there as well oh well absolutely i mean th- this is the thing you're talking about footballers at that time probably earning about the equivalent of 10 pounds or well, probably not the equivalent but earning 10 pounds a week now if you look at thirty-five thousand pounds today that's not a footballer's salary it's not a, you know it's not even close to what they would earn in one week maybe some players would earn that in one week back then two thousand pounds was a huge sum I mean and, and they would maybe earn you know 50 to 100 pounds for coming over to play in these things which is like five five times or ten times their salary just for uh, to play in a football tournament that they're, they're the favourites to win or they're going to be one of the favourites to win there's a great line in it obviously you mentioned the Father Ted thing so you see it all sounds faintly like a plot line from Father Ted the more so upon the discovery that a team of priests once played in the competition their name was of course the All Blacks <laughs> so I love that line but I, I'm interested in how you came about the story. Um, did you say it was a neighbour of yours that had mentioned it to you? How, how did you first hear about it? Well, yes. I mean, one of the, the wonderful things about this set of circumstances we find ourselves in at, at present is that you, you spend you know a good couple of hours trying to think about what you're going to produce for that week. And I had a list of things that, I, you know, a list of ideas that I was working my way through and at the bottom of them was phone Tom McGurk who is my neighbour you know to find out what it is that he did suggested that I you know I should phone him about because he'd met my wife yeah just he was on our daily exercise with my two boys in the field um, and he'd shouted across to her tell James to give me a call you know it had slipped down to the bottom of the list and it was there as one of those things I must do that I, I must give Tom a ring and you know but th- this this Tuesday in particular he he just he just worked his way to the top of the list, and you know I, I called him, and you know the first thing he says is, "Oh, you you were of that story where the Celtic players went across to Ireland and they played in a football tournament and wearing masks and you you, you know and with wigs and disguises on, and immediately you say no, so quick Google search and there there's a few hints at it in the and Derry Journal piece, and when Saturday comes had touched upon it, um and. And, and I did a straw poll of some Celtic supporting members of my family. Um, and, y- y- you know, the, so, so you become aware that this isn't actually that well-kent a story. And so I got a few telephone numbers. I phoned, I phoned Tom. He, he gave me a, a, a phone number for someone to call um, and a stage, state agent in Moville. Um, as you know, and again, as these things work, sometimes it, it just it was redolent of old newspaper kind of story gathering where you 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 know people would walk into a pub and someone else would follow them in and say, hey, "Did you hear about you know the bomb that's gone off, or did you hear about the robbery and such and such?" And so that 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 was how stories 
kind of came to life. They came to life because someone had tipped you off and, and, and it's kind of disappeared. But in this new set of circumstances that we find ourselves in, you know, it, it's kind of, it, you know, here we are with it, you know, history kind of repeating itself. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I think actually my first phone call was to Radio Foil to speak to a chap called Jobby Crossan, who, um, who had been an Ireland international in the 1960s, um, had been involved in a dispute over a transfer from Derry City uh, to Sunderland um, and then had found himself banned from the playing the game um, and he'd gone to um, Holland and then uh, Belgium to pick up his career before returning so he eventually winds up as captain of Manchester City and he was a member of um, various teams that played in the Kennedy Cup and so here you have you know well, who, who's captain of Manchester City you know is it Kevin De Bruyne I can't remember but you know or David Silva you know so here here's the equivalent you know, of 50 years ago, this player turning up at a five-a-side competition in Donegal, which is just ludicrous. You know, I mean, it just wouldn't happen. Um, and and so he was my first point of uh, reference. I didn't get him initially. I got the the uh, I got the chap Eddie Mahan at Derry City, and he then started to open some of the file doors and give me, you know, um, give me some of the, the, the kind of the colour that appeared in the piece. But I went through a list of people, you know, and one person would tell me, oh, I'll tell you who would know something about that. And, you know, and this would just go on and on and on and on. And I got to a point where I actually spoke to, to the filmmaker because he was the estate agent's friend. And he then pointed out that this film was being made. And at a certain point, he then said um, there's someone who claims to have marked Jinky Johnson in one of these Kennedy Cup games <laughs> and kind of time ran out and the piece had to appear um, and you know I, I left a message with this person who's a, who, by the way is a member of Donegal uh, County Council you know so this was a person who you know, had had claimed to uh, play it against Jinky alas I, I wasn't able to um, corroborate that that fact but that's kind of shows you the reach and and you know that and again like that that kind of small town dynamic of how you know it's passed on through the generations and passed on from person to person in much the way that i was being passed from one person to another to kind of firm up the the storyline so I mean, some of the the facts like that one maybe have remained elusive for now. Although I do think you should go back to it. But I think um, it, it's interesting. That you were talking about speaking to Paddy Crerand and all that sort of stuff. And what it seems that what you were seeking to do through that is trying to build up a context. You know, trying to establish the facts that we do know. Um, for example, you know, eyewitness accounts of Celtic players frequenting that part of the world. You know, during that era. So you know, you, you referenced Johnson. Murder, Frank Haffey, Harry Hood, you know, they, they did all play in Moville at some point. So I, I guess that's how you start to build that piece, isn't it? By by mapping out the context and saying, well, even if these exact memories can't be nailed down, I can build up a picture of this time and this era. Absolutely. And I think you'll find that the, the, the piece ends with further, you know, a further franking of their presence because you've got a new pitch opening or a, a, sorry, it's it's actually a it's a football tournament. It's the it's the predis or it's the successor to the Kennedy Cup because the the Kennedy Cup withers on the vine with the, the troubles and, and you know the the inability to move freely, you know, from 
immigrants from um, Northern Ireland into the Republic of Ireland and, and, and it's replaced by another football tournament at which Billy McNeil, Jenky and one other Celtic player turn up to present the trophy at the, at the end of the at the end of the final. So there's this lineage this is the start of the 70s and you've got them there and the filmmaker who is making you know the the documentary about the Kennedy Cup recalls them being there. He says, you know, there's no dispute that you know I, I saw them with my own eyes. So why are they there 10 years later after this, you know, Kennedy or the Kennedy Cup in 1964? Why are they there much later if not because there is this rich history of Celtic players travelling to that part of the world. So absolutely, you know, and, and what you find is as well that it's not just Celtic players, there's a slew of Sunderland players. Now, the aforementioned Jobby Crossan played for Sunderland. So there will have been stories told in the Sunder- in and around the Sunderland dressing room or to those players. There's countless players so that he brought across to play in this cup competition. Now, it's also what further copper bottoms this idea is that you've got this direct link from Glasgow to, to into Derry, into the Port of Derry. You know, it's a nightmare crossing, which Paddy Crown talks about. As soon as I finished school, my mother on the, you know, on the Friday night, she'd pack me onto the ferry. I'd arrive at, you know, she'd leave at five in the evening. I'd arrive at five the next morning, you know, 12 hours in this godforsaken ferry. And, you know, so it was... It, it was quite common, you know, and it was, I mean, it's a beautiful part of the world. I've been, I've actually been in Moville, I know the town. So it, it is, you know, it, it's it's beautiful. And this is in an era where holidays to Spain and Portugal just didn't happen. So, yes, and, and, and Eddie Mahan describes playing kickabout with Celtic players, you know, on on the bay field where the 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 Kennedy Cup is staged, he he has vivid recollections of playing football with those guys as a as a kid. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, the more we understand about human psychology, I think there's an appreciation now that, that memories are far from objective realities. And, you know, you mentioned that word melange and the melange of people's experiences sometimes over over many years. So it can sometimes be impossible to ever actually get to the truth of these matters. But a couple of times you've mentioned that this this filmmaker is, is trying to develop that as a project. Tell us a little bit about that, because the, the guy who, who's doing it has got some pedigree. I mean, this is like, it sounds 
sounds like this is a project that has a bit behind it and it, at some point is going to become a reality. Yes, I mean he he says himself that it, it will it will be a reality. It, it, it's you know he has he came into possession of the cine cam footage that that I mentioned earlier. Tom O'Flaherty is is the man's name, and yes, he's worked on he's worked on various documentaries. He's worked on a, um, a Dennis Rodman documentary. He's worked on a recently released documentary, David Hay. Um, I think goes uh, plays um, learning to play poker, but on the on the the world tour. So he's made that. He, he's he's worked as the editor on on these projects. He's worked as a um, an editor in U two uh, music videos. Um, he's done stuff for the Chieftains. He's done stuff on Van Morrison. Um, so yes, he's you know it's not just some uh, fly by night idea that you you know that something that won't actually ever see the light of day he has set up meetings with Celtic and he wants to you know he's he will speak to Manchester City or he has set up a meeting with Manchester City to film footage um, and similarly with Sunderland I believe you know so he he is setting jigsaw pieces down you know to build the whole picture his his isn't just about Carfin Emeralds. His, his uh, the film is to to take into account the Kennedy Cup because there is so much more to the Kennedy Cup than just the Carfin Emerald story. That that's the that was the main takeaway that I got from it. And and there's a much bigger piece to be done on the Kennedy Cup itself. Y- you you know d- down to I think that he actually told me a story about a team that came up from Belfast. They had won the Kennedy Cup, got the final, won it, got their prize money. The boys all went out. Um, for a celebration, one in particular overdid it, and you know, and 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 died in the bar, you know, while celebrating this cup competition. And the boys who were with him then said, "Well, I'm not ready to go home yet. Um, you know, I I I, I want to stay up here." So they, they 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 put him put him back in his overcoat and put his hat on him and and, and set him on the bus and sent him back <laughs> down to Belfast. Um, so you know that's the kind of again it's like you know these it's it, it's folklore but it's wonderful and it's retelling and it's you know it's very Irish in a lot of ways and we all everyone there's I defy anyone not to love a good Irish yarn. One of the things that first caught my attention uh, to this piece was a tweet you put out where you said when you have 8,000 words of quotes and a 1,400 word space to fit them into. So I guess I want to ask you kind of from a writing point of view, that must be frustrating, frustrating when you spend so long on the research trail, on the writing trail, but you have to sort of corral all this information you've got into quite a limited space. Yeah, I mean, I think the first draft came in at about 3,000 words, so maybe, um, you know, but but when I looked at the quotes, I mean, I had, as I say, people would phone me, you know, you know, and you'll know this from your time as a journalist and as an author that, you know, sometimes you're, you're just basically trying to get anyone to pick the phone up so that you can write something. Um, and, and that's a, you know, often you're in a wild goose chase and you get nowhere. Um, but it was so refreshing to have this flipped in its head that, you know, I had the phone was ringing and it was people. Looking, you know, it was almost like, are you the the boy who's writing the story about the Kennedy Cup? You know, that was the that was the kind of tone. You know, and 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 you know, forty five minutes and an hour, an hour and a half later, you're hanging the phone up and you've had the tape running the whole time. Now, you know that probably eighty percent of that is is unusable, um, but there's there's still twenty percent of that that's you know amounts to two or three thousand words in their own right 
and and you don't want to miss anything so you've got to listen back to that yeah and you, because you, as you as you said earlier you're trying to get a context you're trying to get a flavor of the time it might just be one sentence where somebody says i the boys got changed in an egg station now an egg station meant nothing to me and so i had to ask what what's an egg station mm-hmm. and it's just an egg house it's just it's just a you know on a chicken farm or a hen farm where where the where they keep the eggs after the you know they're um delivered and mm-hmm. and and so you, you know, but this is this is conjuring up images already, you know, in your head of what the time is like, and and you think that's got to go in, but it's one fragment, one tiny little f- piece of scrap fabric from an entire hour and a half conversation that someone gives you that just yeah, but 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 that's but that's a great, I think that's a great you know lesson for any writers listening that that you have to you have to put in the time you have to be on that conversation for an hour to get that one image because. You know, like when I think about this piece, I think about these guys trying to get changed in an egg station and and then all tripping out from, you know, you can see them tripping. It's going back to the Father Ted thing. It's like a great kind of Father Ted image, but you have to put in the hours to to even get those little kind of shards of gold. Absolutely. Well, I mean, this is the the thing. It is your research is everything in a piece like this that if you don't, you don't do the hard yards in it it just loses its authenticity or it loses its authority and that and that's where you know you've got to i've always felt this in everything i ever do if you want to enliven someone's skin from a period in time you've got to immerse yourself in everything that's going on around about that time and and whether that's reading newspaper clippings and you know, I, I, and that, that's I took out a subscription to the British newspaper archive, which I'd never had before, because any time, especially in these trying times where information is not readily to hand, so you're equipping yourself with as many different tools as you can get to to kind of fill in. You've got maybe this outline of a picture, and what you need is the color and the you know and the palette to then fill that picture in. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the, going back to the thing about length, I think that's so vital for a writer. And having spoken to a few of the athletic guys on, on this podcast, they always make that point about that they have, they now have the right size of canvas for their story. Um, so you know, whatever the story's worth, they can write it to. And, and I think that is just that's just so important. And not to do a disservice to the, what you've written already, but I wonder, given that you you feel that you've left some stuff out there, do you think you'll re- return to at some point I, I think there's absolutely an opportunity to expand on this story I think you know the Kennedy Cup on, on it in itself is worthy of a of a piece and even summer cup competitions in general because some of the stories that emerged from those that you you, you weigh up the the benefits of putting those those stories in and then you realize well you're getting so far away from where your start point was and that's the celtic players and masks that you feel mm, this is this is worth inclusion somewhere but it's just not ready for or it's just not right for this story so yeah and to go back to you because i don't really feel they answered you, the the question about length uh sufficiently is that yeah you 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 get to a point where you say where do i finish this how does this finish what 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 point is the full point here and and you, you're never really satisfactorily or satisfied that you've reached that point convincingly because you know all of the other stuff that's left out but of course when the person when it comes to the person reading that they can kind of see potentially that there's more to be told but at the same time there's an end point to any story and, and you've got to really try to find that as best you can 
Thanks to James for joining us. Look him up on Twitter at JD Morgan. That's J-A-Y-D-E-E-M-O-R-G-A-N. James's piece is in the show notes to this episode, as is a link to In Search of Alan Gozine, an updated edition of which was published a couple of years ago. Listen up tomorrow for a bonus episode of Between the Lines, where James picks his favourite sports book. And please subscribe to the Backpage mailing list. The link is in the show notes below. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.